Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That we are. That that we are, I like that. That is a nice uh, twist. It's a nice uh, a twist? Yeah, yeah. What a twist. Yeah. So uh, this is our 26th episode, um, which is pretty cool. We can cool. finally rent a car. We can finally rent a car and... We have That's some time it. until we turn 30. <laughs> That's right. Excellent. Just, just like you. Well, getting right into the episode. <laughs> Seth, what have you been playing? Um, recently, I've been playing uh, a game called Brothers, ironically. Uh, a Tale of Two Sons, and which is a fun game to play after our uh, wonderful episode with uh, interviewing our dad. Yeah, I think so. That was a, a fun episode to produce, and hopefully everybody enjoyed that episode. I think everyone loved it. I think so, too. The Brothers game, A Tale of Two Sons, is a game that's developed by a company called Starbreeze Studios, AB. Okay. And was made in 2013, or released in 2013. And it is a, a story of two sons needing to go off into the world to... Uh, find something to heal their father who is ill. In order to do that, they need to go through a puzzle adventure Mm -hmm. where they need to overcome difficulties along their journey. And the, I guess the gimmick of the game is that you control each of the brothers at the same time. Oh, that's cool. Individual joysticks. So one brother is on the left joystick and the other brother is on the right joystick. And you have to use them sometimes alone and sometimes together in order to solve a problem. So there may be an example would be like there's a a drawbridge that needs to be dropped down. But you have to have one brother cranking it at all times to keep the drawbridge down. So then one brother will crank it, then cross, you can then cross the drawbridge, and then that other brother can use another method to get across the, the river, as it were. Okay. So it's a it's very interesting type of uh, puzzle, platformer type of game that uh, is it, it's unique in regards to the um, play style, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I enjoy it. It's a, It's been a, a blast kind of going through it. Um, and it's got a very unique uh, art style as well. Cool. I think I might have a copy of it from a Humble Bundle. I think that's where I got my copy of it. Oh, nice. So that uh, might check out. <laughs> yeah, it's, I would I recommend it playing it. Um, I would also recommend playing it on your couch. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing it on my sitting on my couch with my like Xbox controller and just kind of so I just stream it using my Steam Link. Yeah. The one of the few that are actually out in the wild because I know it's not a very popular uh, thing, but I, I like it a lot. And uh, I so I stream my games onto my TV, but very specific games. And this is one of those games that's very specific in regards to being able to stream it. Cool. What about you? What have you been most recently been playing? Well, I have recently been playing an older title, Zork the Great underground empire part one um, which is exciting yes which is uh a text-based adventure game for uh, that was originally released in 1980 and i was actually playing it on my newly functional apple II 
computer, um, which I posted a bit about on our Instagram and our uh, Twitter. So I, I own an Apple II computer from uh, specifically the Apple IIe model. And I was having trouble getting it to run. And I finally got it to run after some troubleshooting. And after I got it to run, I created some disks using a modern program. And one of those disks being Zork, which is a fun adventure game. I could have easily just played it on my uh, GOG uh, copy. Windows or, the, uh, or um, uh, probably online somewhere. Or Yeah, I mean, it is... One of the, I mean, I I probably say this with a ton of games like Doom and and uh, some other games, but it is one of the most widely available games in the history of video yes. games. I'm pretty sure. Um, it is it, mostly due to the fact that it is all text based, and by text based, I mean there are zero graphics for Zork. Um, there are some enhanced versions of Zork that do have some graphical elements, but that is not how Zork was originally played. Zork was originally played with a black screen and white text or a black screen and green text if you had a monochrome monitor back in the early 80s i thought it'd be fun to try out on the apple as just a way to get it to get it to uh test out it's um, a little slower to run on the apple because it has to pull each line of uh text from the disc so the disc has to load every paragraph which takes like a, a couple seconds so it's not as instant as it is if i was playing it on a modern computer uh, and that's a five and a quarter disc that is not a, five, a cd-rom right that is a five and a quarter quarter inch floppy disc which is a proper floppy disc not an eight real inch flop. floppy which were the floppiest of floppies but this is a fairly floppy floppy <laughs> disc yeah but the, the three and a half doesn't flop the yeah three and a half does not flop unless you unless you throw it in the air and then it might flop around and then flop but <laughs> five and a quarter true. is floppy definitely flop <laughs> um for those who haven't played zork again it is text-based but it's a uh fantasy adventure where you were solving puzzles and traversing a magical land and fighting off creatures and stuff like that it's a fairly uh comprehensive adventure game i i definitely recommend if you like adventure games giving it uh, a try it is fairly dated it's a lot of reading but it is i think a fun little experience into that um kind of time period early adventure games it also has it's very tongue-in-cheek it has a lot of um humor in the game like you don't even get the title of the game until you actually do stuff in it you have to open a mailbox and read a envelope and when you open the envelope it says like welcome to zork (laughs) you know in the the cabin right yeah 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 by the cabin it's a yeah it's a it's a cool game it's it's part of a vast series of zork games that came out throughout the throughout the 80s and into the 90s by infocom um which was actually based here in cambridge massachusetts which is pretty cool one of the coolest things about zork though when i was reading about it just before this podcast was that it was ported over in japan to the nec pc 9801 which is a pc over in japan they actually ported that version of zork to the sega saturn and the sony playstation which Mm. i think is the best segue into our episode today which is on the Sony PlayStation. <laughs> Look at that, Seth. Look at that. I could do segues too. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a that was a smooth smooth segue. Very smooth segue. Very smooth. Um, yeah, the creator of the segue, Dean Kamen, would be would be very 
very proud of me for how smooth that segue was. And in any case, yes, today we are talking about the Sony PlayStation. It is the first console by by Sony. Uh, it is a disc based system. It's very cool. And Seth, um, what are your memories of the Sony PlayStation? I think the most of my memories regarding the original Sony PlayStation are a lot of tactile memories in regards to like how it felt, uh, putting the disc in. Uh, the like the clicking of the the CD, um, the, like the CD disc drive clicking in, um, okay. the CD spinning up, and having to play and the like the yeah it made like a weird crunching noise when it loaded yeah <laughs> like the CD like thinking crunching kind of thing yeah I think it was the dry, the header going back and forth trying yes. to read the disc yep. gonna be like <laughs> yeah the the header noise like all that was really like my main memory of the playstation is a lot of those tactile senses um the playstation was really the first really like the first true game system that was a cd-rom that i played regularly uh i had a friend who had a sega and sega saturn and uh i had a friend who had a dreamcast but both of those i did not play regularly um, the PlayStation I did play regularly. I think eventually we got our own PlayStation, but I was able to go over friends' houses who had PlayStations to um, to play them as well. Though uh, I feel like whenever it came down to like the N64 versus the Sony PlayStation, I feel like the N64 was always I superior in regards that. From correct me if I'm wrong, but. The, the Sony PlayStation only had two-player capability without any sort of modding. Yeah, so there was um, not really modding, but you had to buy what was oh, called a multi like accessories. Yeah, yeah, which offered for multiple ports. Um, but yeah, the PlayStation um, definitely had some drawbacks to it that the N64, right. you know... Um, the N64 had four plugs. The N64 had four plugs, and while it didn't have CD quality audio, didn't have to wait very long for those cartridges to load. That's right. Because <laughs> they were you could, instant. You could get right into the Super Smash, which was kind of the important part. Absolutely. Um, though the PlayStation, I always kind of considered it to be kind of a... I, I don't know. It was just a, like the... The poly, I remember the polygonal graphics. There was a particular fighting game that I will talk about when we get to our games section that I remember because mm-hmm. um, I, I believe our um, cousins had uh, PlayStation and they had this particular fighting game that I remember and that was um, interesting. Yeah. And also, of course, the uh, the Tony Hawk series and the Twisted Metal series were all on the 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 PlayStation. Oh yeah, yeah. And, those and some, I those remember, games. yeah, and I remember playing them and watching people play them. They were, and of course, games that we've mentioned previously, like Spyro and Crash, and these uh, Final Fantasy VII. I also feel like PlayStation did horror games better than the N sixty four. Yeah. So like Resident Evil and Silent Hill were on the PlayStation. And I feel like I remember them being there and watching people play the games and being creeped out, but they didn't really have kind of an equivalency on the N64. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll talk a bit about one of the reasons why I think the uh, the, the, the PlayStation wasn't successful. And I think 
it, it, I think that is one of the reasons why there are more horror games on the PlayStation is this particular right. reason, but we'll go into that bit when we talk more about the, the history of the console. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think the, I mean, my memories of the PlayStation, I always felt for some reason it felt more adult to me when I was using uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I think the idea of using CDs over cartridges just felt a little more adult to me. I think because I always associated CDs with like music and, and DVDs and, you know, well, we didn't really have DVDs, but with music and stuff like that you know they always came with those really nice jewel cases it was always something that you had to protect because you didn't want to get them scratched whereas cartridges were kind of like you can like throw it at a wall and the cartridge probably would still work i mean right um there's stories of people who like leave the cartridges out for days in the sun and then they plug them in and they're fine (laughs) you know but with cds you had to be more careful you had to be more gentle with them so that was a bit more of like an adult thing to to have to utilize it and also the games just felt more adult to me they like a lot of the games i played i mean some of the games i played were definitely more 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 child friendly like spyro and crash bandicoot um and the harry potter games but some of the games like uh there was a james bond game i remember playing which i felt very it felt very adult it felt different than like goldeneye um which was you know a a a t-rated game but it was still a nintendo game you know it still had kind of a nintendo flair to it i mean you could do big head mode in the game (laughs) but in uh tomorrow never dies which was the james bond game i remember like dark levels there was like a car racing segment it just felt very like it felt very serious and thinking about some other games that came out for the system that i didn't play but i i probably had some knowledge of them as i grew older like you know the the final fantasy games or metal gear solid those are very serious games i mean final fantasy is a very very serious rpg metal gear solid is a very serious um you know tactical espionage game as it calls itself so it always just felt more adult to me um you know you didn't see those type of games on an n64 on the nintendo systems Um, i I also remember a lot of fighting games on the playstation yeah a lot of yeah there was definitely like mortal Kombat was on it street fighter was on it um they had marvel versus capcom was on it and then there was all these like like miscellaneous uh fighting games i I, there's also like tekken yeah um and they had some uh dead or alive was on it as well so I, I we could just go on about fighting games and i think eventually we'll we'll get into an episode where we just talk about fighting games but i i remember the playstation having boatload of fighting games like if you owned a playstation you had a fighting game oh yeah definitely and a ton of rpg games i mean if you a lot of playstation uh like anime themed rpg games japanese rpg games so not just final fantasy but also uh xenogears was another game legend of dragoon um suikoden um was another one for the playstation and these were all games that used like anime art style i think that was another thing i remember was i kind of associated uh the playstation with almost like anime like it felt like a very anime console (laughs) yes i would agree with that to the point where the one of the main like when i think playstation and i think playstation fighting game the game that i think of is a game called evil zone (laughs) yeah (laughs) which if i uh came out in 99 and was pretty much an anime fighting 
game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just pulled up some images of it and it, it looks very anime. <laughs> I mean, the cover is like long white haired woman holding a staff, you know, um, with some like a face marking or something like that. Um, yeah. Very, very, very anime. Yeah. We'll, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about evil zone again in the back half as well. Yeah. So for a little history of the PlayStation one it was originally conceived as actually a CD based add-on for the super Nintendo. But, uh, what happened was Nintendo came to Phillips and said, Hey, we want you to make a CD based add-on. And then they also at the same time went to Sony and said, Hey, we want you to make a CD based add-on. And what they were doing was they were seeing who could make the better CD based add-on. <laughs> it's Sony and Phillips did not know that they were competing for this. Nintendo saw what Sony was working on and approved of it, and they actually dropped Philips almost immediately from the license, but they allowed Philips to use some Nintendo IPs for a project that they were working on, which became the infamous Philips CDI, which had some very, very bad Legend of Zelda games on it. Uh, Sony, uh, meanwhile, continued to work on what was known at the time as the Nintendo PlayStation, which is very weird coming out of my mouth, and I feel like I'm an adult who does not know what video games are saying that. Um, one, one just sold. Yeah, so there was only one known prototype developed for it, and it was actually part of an auction where um, a former Sony CEO went on to work for a company called Avanta, I think it was. And then Avanta filed for bankruptcy and a guy bought a lot from the bankruptcy auction and it was in the lot, which is really cool. And this this dude on YouTube who I recommend if you're into retro computing or, or electronics named Ben Heck did a teardown of the PlayStation prototype and actually got it to work. Um, it was not functioning at the time of him having it um in his hands um so he he took it apart and he actually found some replacement parts for burnt out chips and such and got it to operate the way it was supposed to which is really cool um you know seeing it actually boot up and say like nintendo playstation and stuff so nintendo apparently decided they wanted to go a different direction they actually cut sony from the deal um sony decided they were going to step away and make their own system which they kept the playstation moniker um and then it came out in 1995 uh, in the United States, 94 in Japan. It was incredibly successful. And I made a note here. I think one of the things that made it so successful and one of the reasons that you had some of these very adult games on it at times, very, very like horror games and serious games and anime fighting games and such was because Sony was very open to third-party developers, which was something that Nintendo and Sega were not open to. No. So yeah. if you bought a Nintendo system, you bought nintendo games they were games that were some of them were third party developed but they had to go through an approval process through nintendo which was very rigorous um, and nintendo had certain things that they would not want you to include in the game barring some exceptions you know they allowed certain games to appear on their console due to games being popular like doom or something like that but there were certain things that they wouldn't allow on their console for example in mortal Kombat, the blood was taken out of the super nintendo port yeah but it was but it was in playstation and Sony was a-okay with third-party developers. They liked them, and they would um, give out their dev kits um, to third-party developers to develop for them. And that's where you had some of these horror games and, fantasy and uh, RPG games and um, other games coming out for the system because of the third-party developers being so closely 
involved with the process of making games with Sony. To, I think to the point where some people may be confused where Sony ends and where the third party developer even begins yeah with some of these some of these games where they were developed and published by uh, take final fantasy for example you know that they're it's squaresoft they were third party yeah but you know you might almost think them synonymous with sony absolutely or, or for example you know spyro or crash bandicoot these were third party in many ways people almost associate spyro and crash bandicoot being the mascots of sony but they weren't um, they were the mascots of Insomniac and Naughty Dog, um, who right. were the third-party developers. Naughty Dog um, went on to do Uncharted and also the other game that we were talking about. A Last of Us. A Last of Us, yes. yeah. Last of Us and Last of Us 2. Yeah. Uh, so Naughty Dog had started with Crash Bandicoot and is now doing still games for the PlayStation. Yeah, and they and <laughs> they they obviously have had a good relationship with Sony to be able to still work with them um in, in five fashion. iterations of the of the system. And with exclusivity. Um you know, and that's not I don't think on contract or something between them. I think that's just because Naughty Dog trusts Sony to the point of yeah, knowing right. that their game will sell on a Sony console. And most Naughty Dog games from my understanding are exclusive to the Sony. The 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 one one caveat that I am well aware of though is the recent remaster of Crash Bandicoot which is on everything. <laughs> but that yeah, doesn't but really t- count as like a Naughty Dog game because I don't I, think they're I closely feel, involved with that. I feel like Crash Bandicoot's like public domain now. Yeah, at this point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is on everything, including the yes. Switch. <laughs> uh, the Unchar- Uncharted and um, The Last of Us is ex- are exclusive. I actually purchased a PlayStation 3, not necessarily for The Last of Us, but it did help make the decision. Yeah. And two of... I have very few, I, so I own a PlayStation 3 and I have very few games for the PlayStation 3. In that, those few games that I own, two of them are by Naughty Dog and they are Uncharted and The Last of Us. So that goes to show how how good they are, right? Like, yeah. I have five PlayStation 3 games and two of the five are Naughty Dog produced games. And, and if you want to know just how much sony loved the playstation know that until the playstation 4 the sony consoles were backwards compatible with the playstation 1 so playstation 2 is backwards compatible with playstation 1 and playstation 3 is backwards compatible with playstation 1 which is is great you know if you have a playstation 3 grab some ps1 games because they they function normally and they're they're in hd and it's beautiful there are a couple of playstation one games that really stand out, I think, as some solid games. Seth, do you want to talk about um, some of the games that we have? So I don't think we can go and talk about PlayStation 1 without talking about Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII came out in ni- 1997 and was uh, made up by Squaresoft, which eventually becomes Square Enix. Uh, it is probably one of the more well-known Final Fantasy games. It is very much a staple in the Final Fantasy uh, mythos as mm. it were uh, it recently was remastered uh, so that they now have a, a new Final Fantasy 7 redone um, though the the original was very polygonal <laughs> it, it and, almost humorously poly- polygonal yeah yes. uh, very polygonal polygonal it played like a Final Fantasy uh, unlike the remaster you would go into 
traditional JRPG type of uh, battle menus where you would go in and you'd select what you would do, tab through each person, and they would take their action. Um, and you'd wander the map and get attacked by random monsters versus how I believe the remaster plays. I, I have actually not played the remaster so or the remake, uh, mm. so I'm, I'm, I don't have any familiarity with that. I still have only a PlayStation 3, Zach's the one with the PlayStation 4. Uh, though it's it, it's a great franchise. Uh, it's a, it's a very much a cash cow for uh, Sony. Oh, yeah. As Final Fantasy games are exclusive to the PlayStation uh, beyond or because well, beyond earlier ones, which were on like the Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like once Final Fantasy or at the Final Fantasy's on the Switch. Yes, some of them are. Yes, yeah. I think they're so they're not exclusive to Sony. They're just exclusive to consoles and not on Xbox. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're selective. <laughs> they're selective uh, games because I don't believe you can get them on the Xbox. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Even, somebody I, might correct me. I don't even know if you can get more. the so like I know seven was ported. The like original seven was ported to a bunch of stuff, but I'm pretty sure it's like it's just not on xbox like it's on it's on the computer <laughs> but you know yes. i actually um looked for three six on the switch and i don't think the earlier final fantasies are on it or they were and i didn't want to buy them so <laughs> that was a v- valuable information i know right there right, yeah. <laughs> though you play as a cloud and you go through the the world and that's where cloud and sephiroth come from it's a traditional Final Fantasy. It is epic. Yeah, um, and as Seth was saying, you know, even it does use polygonal graphics, but it's but it was also the first of the Final Fantasy games to be fully three D and also Correct. to be yep. to have full motion uh, rendered cutscenes, which was big, and it was why Sony made or why Square made the jump from Nintendo to PlayStation. Um, originally, Final Final Fantasy VII was actually conceived for the Super Nintendo, but when uh, Square saw what Sony was able to do, they said, "Hey, you know what? Sony's doing what Nintendo isn't, so <laughs> let's jump over there and experiment with it." Which they they did, and I think they did to uh, some great success. And and with the CD aspect, they were able to get a much longer form game. Um, in there and the, the game could be a lot more detailed and in depth because the cd had uh the capacity i, I think they even play some playstation games and they've had multi-disc sets yeah actually to... final fantasy 7 it is a three disc set so they they just they they weren't contained so you which would be next to impossible to do in a cartridge right yeah exactly which would be what the n64 was so there if Based on what Square Enix wanted to make, the Sony PlayStation was the only location that I, they could go to. I will say next to near impossible because Resident yes. Evil, which came out for the PlayStation 1, also had a sequel in the PlayStation 1, which was Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 2 was also multi-disc game and was ported to the Nintendo 64 in oh. its entirety in one cartridge. It was a very ambitious port. It's not great. It's okay. It's not. I don't want to criticize it too much because it actually is a fairly decent port. Um, but it, it is very ambitious if you think about them porting a two-disc like massive game like Resident Evil Two over to a small cartridge. <laughs> that you know, um, it was very interesting. Um, 
attempt on Capcom to to broaden their uh, market there. But that being said, that wasn't the case with most Sony games. Most Sony games remained on Sony system uh, on the PlayStation. So, for example, Spyro, The Dragon, and Crash Bandicoot both benefited from um, the PlayStation's disc based um, disc based medium in terms of the music and the the world that they were they were creating um spyro in particular uses some render distance drawing techniques that the n64 isn't capable of doing which allowed for the world to appear bigger both games are considered classics um spyro was made by insomniac games and as seth mentioned crash bandicoot was naughty dog two games that i always have to talk about with with uh playstation are two of my favorite games because of just how weird they are and that is the harry potter games on the playstation so oh god yeah not all playstation games were great but some of them are very memorable and these two were i had some good memories with these um i had a copy of the second harry potter game for the playstation the chamber of secrets and these were kind of cool sem i don't want to say open world semi open roaming uh, adventure platforming games where you could um, explore Hogwarts, um, learn spells, um, find secrets. And while the PC versions of the games were far better, quote unquote, um, the PlayStation versions um, were still very cool to play. And I remember just going through Hogwarts on the PlayStation version and seeing Hogwarts really for the first time, because this was right around the time the movie came out. And it was, it was really interesting experience to kind of uh you kind of felt like you were actually going to the school you know which is ridiculous to say um looking at the graphics as they are um i think i showed seth a couple of the graphics from that game and he uh got a kick out of those so there so we were talking about multi-disc sets and if you played games back in the early 2000s uh you ran into that a lot so you ran into games that had three, four, five discs. Changing discs was kind of a, a, a thing. Which yeah. Kind of where, why games have gone to a digital medium. Uh, so to kind of bring into a point of why Sony was leading the way, why having a CD-ROM was a CD-ROM, a standard uh, 120 millimeter CD-ROM uh, could hold about 737 megabytes right so if you had a game that was going to be a gig or two you needed three or four cd roms yeah uh once they moved into dvd capabilities which i believe the playstation 2, two yeah could do yeah two 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 forward could do dvds uh that moved it up to being 4.7 gigs on a single layer dvd rom so you could save down to six CD-ROMs. So if you then go to Blu-ray, you can get up to words of 25, depending on the layers. There's right, like dual yeah. layers, triple layer. So dual layer can do uh, 50 gigs and a single layer Blu-ray is a 25 gig item. So 25 gigabytes. It's so obviously newer consoles have to be able to read Blu-ray. Because to now to kind of get into scale, if you look at a game like, let's say you want to play Red Dead Redemption 2, that game takes up 140 gigs. Right. Yeah, it's huge. It's something like games like that, where if you want a game of that scale, 
I know Grand Theft Auto V takes up like 60 to 70 gigs. Can't get a game of that scale onto a CD-ROM. Right. <laughs> right? So they were limited by the size of the storage medium and the cartridge that the N64 could you could probably get maybe 500 megs on it. And that's really capping it at, at the end right there. Right. So doing the Resident Evil port over was risky and why probably lost performance because they shoved it all into a cartridge. Um, I the So that medium for Sony really allowed developers to kind of go crazy with their worlds oh, at yeah, the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, they, they were allowed to really build on, on these worlds and create you know, vast worlds that we couldn't, we never saw before, um, besides maybe on a computer, you know, and that was the, I think when it comes to console gaming versus PC gaming, while PC games were, you know, vast at the time and could do some of the things that the PlayStation was, the PlayStation was tackling a market that PC games couldn't always tackle, you know. Um, if you wanted the top of the line PC game at that time, you had to make sure you had the right graphics card, make sure you had the right sound card, make sure you had like you know a proper connection if it was multiplayer you had to make sure you had this and this and this and it would add up meanwhile you grab a playstation for a couple hundred bucks grab a game for like you know 40 50 dollars and that there you go that's it and if you want to play multiplayer get a second controller you know it's like right the cost it was far more cost effective um for the consumer and still is for the consumer um and um i think that really shined because you could get fairly pc quality games on a consumer available hardware and they actually ported some pc games over to the playstation there was a version of mist riven uh zork was available over in japan uh warcraft was on it and all the like first person shooters doom duke nukem and while some of them have some uh stunted performance um i believe like the duke nukem port and such for the most part, they run equivalent, and it was good to have that for the consumer, which I'm sure Seth would agree with. Right. So I, I did mention in the front of the episode that we were going to talk a little bit about Evil Zone. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't want to forget which, about Evil Zone. We can't forget about Evil Zone. Uh, though we may talk more about Evil Zone when we do a fighting game. So uh, Evil Zone is actually a, almost a fever dream uh, game for me. I remember playing it. Uh, playing it a lot. Uh, at my cousin's house and it being very much an anime but a fighting game and every character in the game has a unique story which progresses through like it's a television series and every it, it with with episode names yeah and there's like voice acting and stuff like previews to it for the each episode and stuff and you learn more about the backstory and why they're fighting as you play every single character, there is um, 10 characters to choose from. So you have 10 different story modes where you can go through these, like almost like 10 little mini animes where you learn about every single um, character, including a s- fully fleshed out story mode for the boss. So which one, of the, which was one of the few games that did that. Um, it was uh, released in 1999 and uh, had single player multiplayer because it was a fighting game. It, they had like om- completely like its own little each of the it was like done up like anime too so like it was stylized very much to anime really cool game i think it inspired me to kind of 
Uh, so I'm not a huge anime fan, but it did inspire me to like appreciate more the uh, genre and the, the yeah. whole thing. Kind of like uh, what got me to kind of be like, oh, this is why people like this type of art style and stuff. It did get a average game ranking of a uh, 62.23%. So uh, it's uh, so it's a an okay game. An okay game. <laughs> Uh, so with that, I think we are done with PlayStation. Yeah, I think so too. We'll talk about some of these games again, I'm sure. Yeah, and there's in their own rights. There's there's a ton of games that were available for the PlayStation that I think Seth and myself uh, may have experienced in one place or another. So we'll definitely revisit um, the console in in future episodes. So with that, we we're gonna move into our. Buy, wait, pass. So, Zach, what are you exciting about buying, waiting, or passing on? So, the game for my buy, wait, pass is the up-and-coming SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated, which is scheduled for release on June 23rd, 2020. This is actually a game we saw at PAX. I didn't get a chance to play it because it was a very long line to play it if you could imagine spongebob battle for bikini bottom was originally released on the playstation 2 the gamecube and the xbox the original xbox back in the early 2000s in 2003 it is a 3d collectathon game um and by collectathon that's kind of like a game like banjo kazooie or conquer's bad fur day um a lot of like the rare games for the n64 were collectathons you know you go around collecting items and those help you uh get to other parts of the game and through a 3d kind of open world environment so this game is a full uh remaster of it being powered by the unreal engine um and supporting in 4k resolution um yeah they're going all out for it um it's It's just like the new movie it's being developed um by purple lamp studios published by thq nordic i've seen some gameplay of it i got to see some actual gameplay of it at pax um from people playing again i didn't get my hands on it it looks very very cool i'm a big fan of uh, the collectathon style of game. You know, I like those styles of 3D platformers. I grew up with SpongeBob, so I have some fond memories of watching the television show. And this is from that early period of SpongeBob. 2003 is was the original game, so it's a lot of the earlier jokes and stuff are going to be referenced in it. I think I'm currently on a wait just because I actually never played the original Battle for Bikini Bottom when I was growing up. Um, It just wasn't a game I had. So part of me kind of wants to see if I can find a copy of that. I'm pretty sure it's available at my local game store. I kind of want to give the original game a try before I jump into the remaster, just so I can appreciate it a little more. I feel like jumping into a remaster of a game that I don't have a lot of memories of isn't going to be as great of an experience as playing the game with fresh eyes um you know so i think i'm going to hold off on uh, on it a bit i want to see if i can get myself a copy of the original game preferably for the gamecube or playstation 2 and then once i have time to play through that a little bit i'll I'll look into buying the uh, remake and talking about it then seth nice what about you well um what i'm excited about buying waiting or passing on is a game called enemy on board trust no one is the tagline uh enemy on board is a multiplayer uh 4v2 oh which is an interesting um 
It's a, a, a atypical type of uh, style or asymmetrical. Uh, so asymmetrical games are kind of like Dead by Daylight, which is a 1v4. Uh, there's also Hunt. No, not Hunt. Evolve, which is another four, 1v4. As, not to be and, confused with Evolvo, that, that Vo, game. Vol, Evolva, <laughs> Evolva, which is that game in Fever Dreams. Yes, yes. Um, Enemy on board is 4v2, which is interesting. It's a social deception game where six crew members try and figure out who among them is are actually murderous shape-shifting aliens. And so it's like a 3D uh, environment where you're running around, you're, you're detecting, deceiving, destroying your way to victory. I think it would be a great game to play with six people that i am familiar with or five people that i'm familiar with um i don't know if i i don't particularly like doing social deception games with strangers beyond like so i don't mind town of salem or games that are text driven but when it's voice driven i don't particularly like uh i was gonna say talking to strangers but that would be sounding weird because I, we do a podcast. Yeah, so that's like I obviously don't like have problems with that. The whole point of a podcast is talking to strangers, <laughs> right? I guess right, we're not stranger- actually we're not hearing them talk back, right? So I don't know. I just sometimes get a, a little. I'm getting better about it, but I, I've always just been very. Uh, I don't know playing with people I don't know and talking to them. I have no patience for it, but um, it is free to play. Uh, though you can get a Founders Edition because it's in Early Access. Um, it came out into Early Access uh, on the 8th of May of this year. Um, so it's currently free to play. Uh, they also have a Founders Edition, which may give you more stuff. And that's $20 or $19.99 MSRP. Yeah. Um, it is being developed by five people so and being published by those five people. Nice. Uh, a company called Windwalk Games. And so I'm pretty excited to see how it plays, though I'm going to put it down as a wait, even though I'm excited, because I would like to play this for free with five people that I know. And I don't know if that ever gets around to being a fact that can happen. But uh, if it is, and this would probably be a game that I would want to check out. So at least I know we always have two, me and Zach, but... To extend it past that is hard. We can we could try to get all the Ryans together. We could try and get every Ryan together. That's that could be it. We can get the call out to all Ryans. So then uh, that's going to be it for my. I'm putting it down as a wait. Awesome. Um, there we go. Sounds good. Well, hey. Should you tell people about how they could contact us, listen to us, or support us? That's funny, Seth. I was just about to do that. So there are many ways that you can. Uh, Contact us, listen to us, support us, etc., etc. To contact us, you can visit our website, www.classicgamingbrothers.com, and go to the contact form that we have on our website. Fill that out, type in the question, comment, concern that you have, press send. It'll go straight to our inbox of our email, which you can also contact us by, which is classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get onto social media, if you're not onto social media, you can visit us on our Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers. 
Uh, you can visit us on our Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers. You can visit us on our Twitter, CG Brothers Pod. Um, all of those are other ways that you can get in contact with us. You can message us. You can comment on our wall, our, our picture, etc., etc. Um, and we will be in touch with you. Oh, we forgot something. We were going to do a drawing. Well, let me finish doing this and then we'll do the drawing. Yes, okay. If you want to support us, whoa, that's awesome. You can visit our website and you can uh, subscribe to us there. Uh, there's a, um, a Podbean um, little widget there that should take you to the, the Podbean so you can um, subscribe there. You can also visit us at any of the other podcasting applications that are out. Um, Acast, CastBox, Spotify, Apple, Google etc 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 um those are all great ways that you can listen to us um as a heads up if you are listening to this is during the covid19 pandemic um and you want to order something off of our website we greatly appreciate it but we are currently um experiencing some uh long wait times due to our distributor for the um for the products that we sell on our website having some delays due to the pandemic so just as a heads up it could be a couple months before anything gets sent out to you um you're free to order it anyway (laughs) we'll appreciate it but it's not gonna go it's not gonna get sent real quick what am i missing oh twitch you can visit us on twitch um classic gaming brothers or you can go to vs classic gaming brothers for my view um you can subscribe to us there we very much appreciate it you can visit our youtube where we have some of our twitch highlights posted we also have um some of these episodes posted as well well seth we have a giveaway that's pretty we exciting do have a giveaway i got uh i got um the tickets here and all of the the entries i'm going to go through them now Does that sound like me going through them? No, it sounded like Should you... I get something else? Yeah, it sounded like you ripping one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on. Um, maybe this will make it sound... Going through all of our entries. Oh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's much better. All right, and the winner is... Dylan! Whoa! Congratulations! Congratulations, Dylan! Our second giveaway winner ever. Ever. Who knows? We may have more. 26 episodes. We've done two. We've done two. We're pretty pretty timely with those. Um, We'll do more uh, if you send us feedback. You can also send us additional feedback and... uh, to our email and then you can be entered into our giveaway where we'll eventually draw you if you want us to draw it sooner because you think that you have a good chance of winning send us a message and tell us that you want us to do a sooner drawing yeah uh reminders Um, are very helpful (laughs) they are very helpful we always forget about things that we do well with that said don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers (laughs) 